Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Magic and the Other Guy. Kevin and I are sitting outside my home on the sunny, warm, quite blowy banks of Lake Wiley. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. You're right, the wind is up a little bit. Yeah. But I'll take it. I'll take a breeze across this porch. Yes, that breeze makes all the difference because the sunny summer weather down here, as we've said before, can be quite humid. But having this wonderful breeze blowing is terrific. I never know what we're going to be talking about, but you do, Kevin. So, what is our topic of conversation for today? Well, I think in keeping with the uh, themes of summer and fun and such like that, I thought we'd talk about games. Games that we played as a kid. Not particularly board games, but games with groups and being out with the friends and being outside, yes. those type of games. All right, start us off. What games did you used to play? As well, one that I got remember, or got remember, got reminded of very, very recently was how much we enjoyed playing Marco Polo in our friend's pool. Yes, okay. Now I am only fairly recently educated or aware of Marco Polo. Because if you told me this five years ago, I would have had no clue what you're talking about. Either that or the Geico ad. Right. <laughs> That's, that's right. With the real Marco Polo. Yes. We never played Marco Polo over in England. Not to my knowledge, I could never remember anybody playing it. Tell me the rules of Marco Polo. Uh, okay, you're in a pool, and whoever's, I guess, I guess it was it. Uh, whoever's it has to close their eyes. Yes. And I think you go under and count for however many seconds it was. It's Not been a, 45 seconds or something. No. no. You count for three minutes. No. You'd be, and then you pop up and you say Marco and everybody that's in the pool or above water has to say polo. They have they're required to say polo. Okay. And like if you hear them right to your right, you lunge at them. And if you, if you touch them, they're now it. So the goal is they're trying to avoid you. Yes. But you, they have to give you the, the callback when you say Marco. So um, um, you just close your eyes if you are it. Yes. You have no mask or, or, or dog glasses. A mask or something. would come in handy, I, I guess. I but yeah, right. you, we yeah. always just close your eyes, and you're kind of supposed to use the honor system. Okay. Um, but granted, I mean, you may be playing. The, the guys, like, uh, I have a real good memory of us playing when we were about 15 or 16. The guys I skated with, we went this summer and just played all the time. And there was about four of us. And so the same, same guys. But you come up, and let's say I came up and I said, Marco, but I only heard two polos back. Yes. Well, then the other one's underwater somewhere. Right. Because he's not required to if he's underwater because he can't hear you. Right. So I would, you know, okay, so somebody's under the water. And their pool wasn't huge. It wasn't like his Olympic-sized pool or anything. Yeah. So I didn't realize there was so much strategy involved in this game. <laughs> very excited by it. But then the other, the other good caveat was you could get out of the pool, but I, we played with the rule that part of your body had to be touching the water. So you could come around the edge, but like your finger, you had to keep your finger in the pool as you oh, went around. Okay. But if if you heard somebody make a movement and they were diving into the pool and they were in midair and you yeah. said, fish out of water, they were now it because they violated not touching the water. Wow. And so, you because they may try to get up and run around the perimeter of the pool and jump in at the other end. Yeah. But if you yell fish out of water while they were not touching water, yes. they're automatically it. While they were a fish out of water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and forgive my ignorance here on the subtleties of Marco Polo. Why, why was the game called Marco Polo? No idea. Okay. I'm sure there's a reason. I'm so relieved it's you said that. It's not going to come from me. I thought I was missing something very obvious in my education there. I'm aware of Marco Polo. I'm not aware of why 
Marco Polo, the pool game was so cool. Yeah, I have no idea, but... An explorer crossing the oceans, maybe? Maybe? Who knows? Again, it's something something to uh, do a little research on on the net. Yeah, uh, but I never realized there was this thing about if you were underwater, you didn't have to declare your position in the pool. Well, you couldn't. I mean, obviously, you're not going to hear the Marco and and such. But occasionally, you'd easily be playing and you may go underwater you know because you could do anything you kind of always had your hands stretched out because you didn't want to conk your head on the side of the pool but i may go under and just kind of make a movement and i might just jerk jerk right because who knows somebody might be swimming right next to me and if i caught him i caught him yeah so but i still remember vividly like the person being it and me swimming like underwater kind of behind them like two feet and i would just make movements you know to kind of slowly waft myself backwards sure. or something like that yeah. so if he jerked around he might not you know touch me on the head or something yeah but uh, but we, i tell you we 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 spent that summer playing that so many times it's just fun you know and, and we're we probably got the most amazing tans that year and it was great in, in central florida in the middle of summer to be yeah. in a pool too rather than you know on the ramp skating yeah. all day we probably did both probably skated most of the day and in the afternoon hit the pool but uh, that was one of those just fun summer activities of that age, you know? Now, I remember with my school friends, we never used to play pool games, although we did actually have a, a little swimming pool at our primary school, elementary school in America. Uh, and I remember I was at that school when that pool was built. It was all extremely exciting that we were gonna have a swimming pool. And it was great, it was tremendous fun. But one of the things my school friends and I used to play every summer vacation was to build a raft in one or two of the local lakes that were around, little ponds more than lakes. We shouldn't have been doing it because they were on somebody else's land, but we would sneak into the land where there was a little trout pool or trout pond, and uh, by using any of the, anything that was lying around, planks of wood or something, we would make a little raft and row across from one side to the other. And inevitably, the landowner would come out and would complain at us and we would we would always try and paddle to the opposite side of the pond wherever the owner was you know i know who your parents are i'll i'll make sure you don't do this again but we'd we'd try and avoid them as much as possible now with that in mind i remember reading three men in a boat one of my favorite books by author jerome k jerome that was written in i want to say 1889 and there is a scene that he recounts in that book when he was a young man with his friends doing exactly that. They would, they would go to a pond or a lake somewhere and build a raft using whatever his equipment was around, you know. Nails or a bit of rope and a few planks. And I thought, good gracious, they were doing exactly the same as what we were doing in the 1970s, you know, and this was 18-something. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, but again, we should not have been doing it. So, well, what happened so. at the end of the season? We're, each year, you have this we just collection leave, of rafts we just, that was yeah. building up. That's right. We just leave them there. You know, we just leave them. Don't yeah. you ever like find them again, or they just kind of get washed away? No, no, they no, fall no, apart, and wash they, away. They, they, believe me, they were nothing very grandiose. And I think the I think the farmer or landowner would just reclaim <laughs> his planks of wood, and and uh, that would be the end of that. But we we used to enjoy doing that. Yeah. Yeah. What are the what are the summer games did you play in the states? Well, we'll go, we'll go to another pool one. When when I was a kid, uh, we we belonged to the the club down the way, and and my mom, dad was always, this is when dad was working, and mom would I would go to the the pool, and of course again I think we touched on this before. Look, looking back, it seemed like the most massive pool in the world. Sure. And, you know, yeah. Seeing it like in my twenties, it was like it shrunk. Yeah. But 
you would get to where in the in the area where is actually where the uh, swimming the competitive lanes were, uh, and the the depth was probably I don't know, let's say four feet maybe something like that, and you we play a game called shark. Okay. And then so it let's say let's say it was me starting out as the shark, everyone else is called a minnow, and they would line up across the pool. Okay. And you'd I can't remember what you'd holler out, but it was like go. And they would all dive in and try to make it to the other side of the pool right. across the, the length of those racing lanes. Yes. And anybody that I touched then became a shark. Ah. So, but they're doing, you, know, you had your boundaries. You couldn't go too far to the right, too far to the left. You had the, like the lines of the lanes that you said, or these are our boundaries. But, you know, let's say, you know, 18 people jumped in. And I was able to tag two. Yes. Well, now you got three when they sharks. now we got three sharks trying to touch fifteen swimmers. Yes. So eventually, you just you ebbed it the other direction, where you're getting more and more sharks until you got that last minnow who's diving in against seventeen sharks, trying his best to make his way to the other side. Fabulous. So that worked out. Yeah, it was always a lot of fun. Another another great favorite of. of uh, my my school friends and I and I when we were at, um, in the summer holidays was always making what we call dens. You know, we would make we would go into the woods, and there was a lot of uh, very dense bracken in the woods. What's which now, was what's bracken? bracken is f fern. Oh, okay. Fern fern plants, uh, but known as known as bracken. And um, it was tremendously good roofing material, and so we'd go into fields or into the into the woods and make these little summer dens and uh, what we were, the idea of the game was really it was find the opponent's den so we would build my friends and i would build one somewhere and then some other friends would build one somewhere else and then we'd sort of creep through the woods trying to find where they are and they would creep back through the woods trying to find us oh know? very good yeah 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 we, we kind of like that um but just being basically in the summer just being outside doing anything outside the last thing you wanted to do um, was to be in home, right? Anything to get out of being in home was what we would do. Just just to be outside, just to be in the fresh air. Oh, and we, those games would last all, again, we've talked about this in another episode, those games would last literally all day long. Yeah. You know, get out of the house by nine o'clock, have a bowl of cereal in the morning and leave, leave home by nine and be back by six in time for beans on toast and Star Trek at seven. Mm -hmm. Which is a whole lot better than sitting at home watching the TV all day. Believe me, yes, I, I feel very sorry for the generations that cannot, you know, the world is different now, and I understand that to a large degree, but anything that you can do to get out and just experience the world, please do. Turn the TV off, turn the radio off, and get outside. Yeah. Well, that reminded me of, of one we ended up doing. Now, this was probably freshman year of high school. It's funny, the, the games you kind of get, get going when you're a teenager and the ones you did you know, when you're younger, but... Um, we were, of course, living in Leesburg, Florida. We, we know that. Uh, you know, I went to high school. And this group of guys that I hung with in the neighborhood, we kind of got in this playing military. And we would use the um, unripened oranges, you know, because there's citrus trees everywhere down there. I mean, oh. granted, we they probably belong to somebody, and we You're probably sure shouldn't have been do. taking those off. <laughs> yes. But we would take the, the green oranges, which were pretty dense and, and hard. Yeah. And those were our ammo. Yeah. And we would, you know, break off into, you know, two, two groups. Be it, let's say it was five people each. Yeah. Uh, and we we lived in a neighborhood that had a little little lake, pond-sized lake, right across the way from me. In fact, we were across the street from them, and their backyard backed up to it. 
And so you, you had to start in different areas, so you didn't know where you're starting from and try to come across each other, and you yeah. could just pelt each other with these oranges as your ammunition. And I still remember that two of the, or one of the other teams um, group got into one of those John boats, one of those little aluminum John boats yeah. was on the water. Yeah. Well, they got into these deep reeds, and we knew they were out there somewhere, and we were throwing those, those oranges, and you'd hear a kaplunk, kaplunk, and I, th I threw one and I heard clang, <laughs> and I heard some, some, some loud expletives, and all of a sudden paddling like a mad person. So we knew where they were, and we just pelted that one area. <laughs> so it's like playing battleships for real. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, find out where they are in the reeds. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the other one, the glorious moment of that, I think, same afternoon was one of them ran around a house. And I just arbitrarily flinged one completely over the house, and all I heard was, ow! <laughs> so I nailed him from across the house, and I said, hey, yeah. sniper, I guess. But. <laughs> yeah, well, that's reminded me. I mean, we never used to have uh, um, oranges in the same way you guys have them down in Florida, for example. But we did used to have a lot of apples. And one of the things we always used to do as kids was, was what, it, what was known as scrumping. It was basically just like you're taking the taking the oranges and claiming all innocence, and I'm sure somebody owned them, but we didn't know who it was. And we would do kind of the same thing with apples. We would we would scrump the apples come October time, September, October. And um, yeah, we would eat them. We would take a couple of apples off the trees and then go running away through the fields. And then we would eat them leaning against haystacks and all that sort of real fun things, you know? <laughs> Just a different time again. Yeah. It seems like it almost sounds like a storybook, and people don't it believe really it really does. happened. I mean, it, 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 yes, it's it's like the darling buds of May, you know, imaginary world. But the, the it's world like you're really sitting there in a straw hat with a hayseed hanging out your all mouth. All that you know? sort of stuff. I mean, we used to watch all that used to happen. Yes, and we used to watch farmers chugging along on old tractors, you know, down bumpy lanes, and they would have little little pipes puffing away on little pipes, you know, and all that sort of stuff that you think. It's almost too imaginary to be real, but that was that was what our life was like. Is that what we used to? Yeah, scrumping, scrumping apples used to be a big thing. Come come the time for apples to be taken off the trees, but yeah, that's the first we, time I've ever heard that term. We never had yeah, we never had grapes uh, like down in France, and we never had oranges such as you guys did down in Florida. But yeah, just to be outside, to be exposed to the world, was a wonderful experience. To sit at the side of a babbling brook and just look at the little fish in there. Yeah. You don't have to be doing anything when you're a kid, do you? You just need to be outside. Get outside. That's the that's the message. <laughs> that's the message from me today. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can take, you know, you see that you, know, you go through your life and you do the, your life routines, but you could take a time and if you really concentrated on it and go into the woods and you can look at a, a, a little parcel of land one foot by one foot. And study all the little animal, the insects that are living in that, and you spend and you learn immensely, and really take a, a minute look at the oh, world. Oh, absolutely! You know, yes, and, yeah, and you yeah. could see so much in just if you took the time to do it. You know, and summer is a perfect time for, you know, kids to experience that type of thing. Again, you know, you, you've seen that one episode of whatever fifteen times. Get out and do something. So, and we hopefully we'll have you know kids doing more of that. But we try to do that with with our daughter. You know, go out and experience things. You know. There is something, I'll tell you another great experience. I mean, we're kind of getting off games as, you know, summer games, but 
for those that have, have never been camping and have often wondered, should I go, you know, why would I do that? It seems just uncomfortable. Why would you sleeping on rocks? Why would we do that? But one of the great joys of, of camping just for one night to me is set your little campfire, have something to eat as the sun is beginning to set. And of course, you're, you, you, you know, you're, you're very restricted in terms of what light you have. You have a little flashlight or a torch, as you would say in England, or a little hurricane lamp. But basically, your day is organized by the arrival and the disappearance of daylight, obviously. When it's dark, it's dark. Yeah. I'm doing it. But to be sitting in the countryside as the sun starts to set, you see the country and the countryside around you. It sounds like a cliche to say in a completely different light, but you do. You're aware of the noises around you beginning to change. The creatures of the day start to go quiet and the birds roost and become quiet. And then the creatures of the night start to come to the fore. And in the States, I mean, I've done this a couple of times up in Linville Falls area, up in the Blue Ridge Parkway. And I've just sat quietly by myself as the sunlight begins to go down. And then when you see that, this is something I've never seen in England. When you see that first little firefly just flick across the, the setting sun, it's like, wow, what was that, you know? Then flick, flick, and then there's more of them. And it, to me, it's a wonderful thing. But beyond that, to then go to sleep and experience the noises of the night that's all around you with wildlife, and if you're in the middle of the woods, you get a lot of it. But then, this is the thing that just, to me, is a very magical moment. It's the morning when night starts to fade away and you get that first tiny sense of the new day. And you miss all of this completely when you're in home. You wake up and it's suddenly light and it's a new yep. day. But to watch that change of light from dark to pre-dawn to dawn to the mist and the fog just beginning to roll away to the first spikes of the sun shining through the trees and then to sunrise and you just see the land change around you and in England we would get my experience was you would always see for example the dew in the grass of the night time it's not there at night when you go to sleep when you're camping but in the morning when you wake up the grass is wet with dew and as the sun creeps through the trees and you get those first bright spikes of sunlight shining through the trees the dew starts to dissipate and evaporate off and you can within the space of an hour just sitting there and watching what is happening around you like the whole world changes completely from the night time to the daytime yeah it's extraordinary it's absolutely extraordinary and kids get out there and go camping and it will do it again tomorrow it'll do it again tomorrow yes absolutely yeah I love that about camping. I just think, like you were just describing, you could take one square yard of ground and just see the creatures that's in there and study them over a year. Um, and that happens in camping to me all the time. It's just the world, you just see the world in an entirely different light. You, you are aware of things that you never thought you would be aware of. Yeah. Odd little things. It's like, if you're camping near a tree with a hole in the tree, your eye keeps going to that hole in the tree and you wonder what was living in that hole yesterday what will be living in that hole tomorrow and 
but you know, it's odd little things like that. You just take notice of details that you would never think of taking notice of. Mm -hmm. I think we I think we touched on this maybe back in the bicycles episode, but you know, you may drive down the same road for five years, but you go on on a bike ride and you see things totally different because you're a little slower. Yeah. And you experience it differently, and you're going to experience it even further if you take a walk down that road. You're, you're going to notice right. the undulations of the road. You're going to notice this rock on the side or how this slopes over or, you know, if you do it a few times, well, that changed from yesterday. What what slightly changed the topography with the gravel? You're, you spot, you're spot on. Yeah, if you're walking down a country lane, you will see a rock and you, your eyes will, you know, you know where you are by the tiniest little details. You walk down it the next morning and see that same rock and it can, end up, it can be a rock the size of a baseball, you know, but you're aware of where it is. Yeah. You miss all of that in a car. Of course you do. Yeah, you're right. So you, you pick it up on a bicycle and you pick it up even more when you're walking. Yeah. Odd little things. Yeah. Well, another, th uh, another one I, I remember that was a lot of fun that we just on, on the spur of the moment did. This was when I, you know, I told you we go up uh, every year. We, we went every year up to my sister's and stayed three weeks in the summer. Well, of course, I, you know, knew the kids in the neighborhood that were around my age for a number of years and you know we just always connected when I was up there and we do stuff during the summer and, and and all that while I was there and one evening this was again in high school and I think it's kind of just us being doing more kitty stuff again but we played a, a game of I guess it was kick the can okay and I could not tell you the rules of it right now or, or if we even played by the right rules but essentially on the, the kid the kid across the street on his sidewalk we set a can yeah. I think it was just a basic tin can for peas or something. Oh, okay. And we just made the rule that everybody breaks off. Yeah. And I guess somebody's kind of guarding it, but they're trying to tag you. And then when they're away trying to tag somebody else, if you can run around and kick it, yeah. you've done something you, and yeah. something changes. I don't remember. But I just remember right. that was the most fun evening yeah. of just out there us doing that for hours probably. Playing that game, and who knows if it was the correct way, but man, I'm not, it was I'm not sure. I'd be interested to know if there are a very specific, defined set of rules and regulations for kick the can. Whatever we were playing, we had a the sporting ball. regulations and the technical regulations for kick the can. 2021. And it was probably more of an elementary kids game, but we were just like going, ah, you know, we're having fun. Yes. Of course, we had a mix of us. Yeah. There were guys and girls out there, and we were just having a ball. Get outside and do for things. Yes, exactly right. That's not what we should be talking about, but it doesn't matter that we drift off. But you're right. Those, yeah. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible tragedy that the world is not as safe as it used to be. And I remember that in England. Again, I've written about it, and we've talked about it regularly, but in England, in, when I grew up in the 1960s, it felt absolutely perfectly safe to be outside and go anywhere. It felt no, you felt no sense of danger. We were out in the middle of the countryside, you know, we weren't in a town. I'm sure the towns were riddled with crime, but more so now, but yeah. The idea that you could walk around the village Everyone knew everybody else. There's a great yeah, sense of community about that's that. That's a big right? part of it too, right and there. And again, as I've written about in um, in these desired things, what I'm talking about, my childhood, we had, as every little village did, one police bobby, and everybody knew who he was. And who he, is who is yours? Uh, it was Constable Cooper. Constable Cooper. And Constable Cooper rode a rally three-speed bicycle. 
black issued straight from the Nottingham factory. I was about factory. to say, government issued, government issued, no frills. From, from the Raleigh factory that was in Nottingham, which was based 50 miles away from where we lived. And you would never say a crossword to Constable Cooper, and if you did, he would go to your parents, and your parents would make sure you never said a crossword to Constable Cooper. And uh, bit of a bit of a gruff fella. He was nice. He was, you know, he but, knew. But he was know, no no nonsense. It was absolutely no nonsense. It was like dealing with a sergeant major in the army. You know, he, he would take care of you. He knew who you were. He knew who your parents were, who your guardians were, and if anything happened that shouldn't have been happening, he would make sure that your parents or guardians knew about it. You yeah. know, but. Um, it was a great sense of a completely different way of life. I suppose, again, my knowledge of America is very, very limited, but it always strikes me as small town America. Yeah. With every family knowing everybody else. You knew who run the hardware store and who won the, so uh, who, who run the soda fountain or the pharmacy and the drugstore and everybody knew everybody. That's not such a bad thing, is no, it? No, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know, I, we went from, you know, Knoxville, Tennessee to Leesburg, Florida. So we really went to a much smaller community, but it was still a, a city. You know, it wasn't as nearly as small as you're, you know, re referring to. Right. But so I've never really lived in that really small town experience. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for some people, and that's the thing about, you know, even right now, there's so much diversity in our country. There's people that live that every day and the people, you know, live in the middle of a metropolis and have, have never lived anywhere but a city apartment. And. You know, the park is the closest thing they've ever gotten to grass. You know? I think there is something fundamentally tragic in the knowledge that in contemporary society, in, in a town of any size, really, of any reasonably big size, it's quite likely you wouldn't know who your neighbors are in an apartment block or who's living at the side of you or two doors down. Yeah. But knowledge has gone happen. now, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. It's changed. Yeah. I think that's uh, it's a terrible loss. That's one thing, Kevin, that I was so attracted to in France. I mean, I talked about my, just love my years in France. Those 15 years in France were just some of the best years of my entire life. But it was, it was more of that, a return to how life used to be, the values of how life used to be nobody would lock their door why would you do that you know why would you want to lock the door and everybody was aware of everybody else and we all took care of one another well i remember you know growing my younger years we grew up you know, again back referring back to knoxville but the street we lived on was a dead end right and i think we've referred to it before too maybe there was mm, let's say six to seven houses on each side so 12 to 14 maybe up the whole street Maybe less, actually, uh, when I sit and count them. But, you know, we knew everybody, of course, on that street. Yeah. I mean, there, there were some that, you know, they kind of had their own thing going, and we weren't, you know, we didn't really socialize with them. But, you know, you'd obviously see them driving down the street and yeah. wave, and you knew who they were. Sure. And there were some that we, you know, saw and, and did things with quite a bit or whatever. And they are very diverse in their ages. None of them had, no, there was no kids on my street, I will say that. They were all grown and out of the house by the time I came along. But, uh, but we all, you know, they, my parents had been there for many years and their kids had grown up with my, my parents being on the same street. So but that's the closest I think we had a community in that you know, neighborhood. Once you got past that street, it opened up to a little busier street. Yeah. And we really didn't know as many people, you know, outside of that. But uh, it's remarkable how, how the world changes. And there's nothing we can do about that, is there? It's just 
times change, the world change, changes. Uh, but I feel that that loss of that loss of security, that loss of safety that, that you and I both experienced. This is the, another thing that always strikes me is it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. 30, 40, 50 years in, in our cases. But how was it 200 years ago or 300 years ago? Was it wildly different from our experiences of we knew the people in the village? I suppose communities may have been much smaller. I don't know. Well, one of the you know, diversities yeah. was probably, there, there was probably a lot of time, the kids weren't playing because the kids were working. <laughs> I think a lot of that was in the old, quote, olden days, you know, yeah, the, if whoever was working the, the field, whoever was able-bodied was out of bed and working the fields or That's working right. the orchard or yes, the good old days, whatever. Yeah. So. Not so much the good old days. Yes, I mean, I don't know. I think we lived in an absolute golden age as children my school friends and I and again although I often say we hardly had anything but we had all that we needed we never had everything that we wanted we had everything that we needed um, I think it was a very valuable golden time George Orwell funny enough talking about golden time this has just reminded me George Orwell in 1984 and I know this book keeps cropping up in my life because it's had such an impact on me but George Orwell writing as Winston Smith the central character of 1984 he has this same sort of sense of looking back. You can tell it. You can tell it's the author looking back on his own childhood, and he keeps describing this this countryside where Winston Smith, the character, ends up visiting as, as the golden country. He's very. He keeps referring to it as it is my very own golden country, and he talks about the dace fish swimming in the ponds and hiding under the the shadow of the overhanging branches and. You know, and, and he talks of close-bit passages where the rabbits have been at work, you know, and I, just, I think it's just a beautiful image that he was thinking about when he wrote that book in uh, 1948. And so I always think, yes, it's interesting how folks always look back on their childhood with this, I guess, it, I, I want to say it's rose-tinted glasses, and probably it is to an extent, but was that the same for every generation? I don't know. Woody Allen's movie, Midnight in Paris, picks up on the same theme, really, where, without destroying the movie, if anybody would like to see it, it's, it's to do with time travel and each generation traveling back in time just a little bit to a different point of, a, a different point in history, in Paris's history. And each generation is looking back through rose-tinted glasses to a previous generation, yep. saying, ah, oh, the days were much better before. Yeah. yeah, I think with what we every you know everybody went through last year, um, there were some comments I, I saw online or something like people talking about how, you know, the good old days weren't really as good as we thought they were, but they're nostalgic and we look back and we tend to remember the best parts Absolutely. of the good old we days. We do. There's no question of that. And it's funny, my mom was always one of those that she would say, "Good old days, my butt." She's like, <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "I like my air conditioning. I like my washer and dryer. I, I like." I know. You know, she was like, I don't want to have anything to do with those those old things we had to put up with and all that. She was very much a, I'll take it the, the way I've got it now. And, and I do get that, absolutely. I mean, different generations have lived through the Second World War. Previous generations lived through the First World War. Going back and back further, folks about to live through the Great Depression and folks about to live through the Black Plague of the Middle Ages. Sure, I get all of that. I do. And I understand exactly what your mum 
was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I like my air conditioning, thank you very much. Yeah, she's like, I wouldn't, wouldn't change yeah. it, thank you. Yes, but I wonder whether or not the values are worth holding on to, which unfortunately I think they are sort of sifting through our fingers faster than we would like. Very true. Very yeah, well, not to—I mean, not yeah. to not to end our when we're running out of time. Not to end that on a down on a down note at all. I don't mean that, but I do think I I suspect that the generation of children now, your daughter, for example, uh, twenty years from now, will look back on her childhood and and think of it as a, a very special time that will never be repeated. Yeah. Well, we hope so. Right. Yeah, that's what we're striving yeah, for. We're trying is. to, you know, we try to, you know, make yeah. those memories and such like that. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of it too these days, kids are more organized. You know, like she is at summer camp. She's at summer camp right now. Right. You yeah. know, so <laughs> so we do. They, we put it in, in the organized sports and stuff like yeah. that, and that gives them that camaraderie and doing things with people. I think they'll look back on that, you know, as as you know, golden golden times spent. Yeah, I you know, think so. Even if that hadn't led to what they're doing later on in life, you know, but it was it was time at, at that moment that they were enjoying. Yes, that's exactly right. Those childhood memories are are very special. But thinking, um, I'm just thinking about motor racing because you know we we spend much of our time chatting about motor racing, and much of my career has been about motor racing, but. It's my experience that everybody who's been involved, in my case in Formula One motor racing, everyone who has been involved with, with Formula One at a particular era always thinks of that era as being their golden time. Yeah. The golden era of the sport. Yeah, I've heard you mention that a couple of yeah, times. Yeah, I, th I think there's a much to that. I always think of the 90s as being the golden era of Formula One. Many folks may agree with me, many folks may disagree with me, but I think it was a, it was a wonderful time. Now, if you talk to David Hobbs, uh, when he was involved in the sport in the 60s and 70s, I know that he looks back on that time with, with that same sort of rose-tinted glasses, I guess, looking back on that time. I'm sure folks that were racing in the, in the in 1950, when the Formula One season first, uh, Formula One championship first started, they would look back on that time and think that's the golden time of motorsport. Yeah. So I guess in the wider image, when we look at our childhood, it's, the, it's, a, it's a reflection of that. We always think of our particular childhood as being very special yeah well it's just like i think i think most people tend to think the greatest music was whatever music was when they were a teenager yeah you know so that's that's a big it's a soundtrack that's of your true. life so yes. that you're you know oh yeah. the greatest music was when mtv started and, and people are like are you crazy the 70s and yeah, all the great you know yeah funk bands and all that you know were coming up and the the harder rock stuff was coming up and then and people were like oh no no the 60s the beatles ruled everything and you know so <laughs> but yeah i do those, like there are many other discussions down the line so. i do like that idea now with 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 the way modern technology works of course we can just ask amazon music or pandora whichever streaming service we use play music from the 1970s i'm welcome a selection from the 1970s and i get enjoyment now from saying I'll listen to that for 15 minutes. They play music from the 1960s, play music from the 1950s, and you can see that sort of back to the 1940s, to the 30s, and you see that sort of progression of music through the decades. And it's so easily done now with, with, with the streaming services we've got. It's kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, and to think about, you know, not, not getting too off topic again, but talking about music is like... <laughs> I've completely how, forgotten what the topic yeah. is. <laughs> how many, we'll, get, we'll figure it out. <laughs> how many people were, say, performing and recording music hundred years ago and how that has just scalloped 
outward. Yes. You know, how to just how many choices there are now as compared to how many there were yeah. five, six, seven, eight decades ago. Yeah. You know, who you could listen to and what was available and what style was available. Yeah. And I mean, it's just going to get infinitely larger. And yeah, I'm with you all the way. And it is the same with publishing. Um, with writers have now got so many different outlets to put their own work out there. And in, 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 an extension of that, of course, is we are all broadcasters. Hey, look what you and I are doing today. We couldn't do this 10, 15 years ago. No. Look at YouTube and all the different channels that are out on YouTube. That simply wasn't an option. So you're right, everything has blossomed and bloomed into, if you have something you want to put out there to the world, there's a way of doing it, which not so long ago, there wasn't. And we've chatted about this before, but the only outlet in, in England was, and this is, the B this is the world news from the BBC, and this is the only truth you need to hear. It was that, there was yeah. nothing else. Yeah, how, how times have changed. Speaking of time, we better think about bringing this to a close. We can do that. Yeah. We will return another day. So I enjoyed that. Another day. There we go. What were we supposed to be talking about? I <laughs> think we started with summer games or related to it. So. Well, there we go. Summer games, gentle listener. I hope you enjoyed that. Join <laughs> that us again. That in-depth discussion of purely summer games. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Join us again on another um, episode of Mashed and the Other Guy. Bye for now. We'll see you then. Yeah. Bye.